Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips and welcome to the show. My guest today is Dove Cameron, an American actress and singer. She's best known for her roles in shows like Live and Maddie, also The Descendants film. She's putting out a lot of music now, just released some new music, Bloodshot, Waste, and a new single, Remember Me. I'm excited to have her on the show. She is an icon at the young age of 24, almost 37 million followers. So coming up in just a moment, Dove Cameron, if you like the show, please remember to rate review the show on iTunes. It's really important to us and very helpful. We're all trying to survive this pandemic. So hopefully this show brings you a little bit of love, laughter, and light in this crazy time. Excited to have Dove join me in just a moment and stay tuned for Dove Cameron coming up next. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is the incredible Dove Cameron. Welcome to the show. It's so nice to see you. Yeah, it's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, and thank you for coming on the show. Dove, you, you have nearly 37 million Instagram followers, which is crazy when you think about it. Emmy award-winning actress, dropping music all the time. I want to talk to you about your musical journey obviously your path in life and how you grew up and whatnot and, and talk about your new music that you just dropped. So congrats on your new music, which is awesome. And I know it just hit number top 10 on iTunes charts, right? Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really exciting. It's such an interesting time for music right now. I think. Um, it is. With how our... are you doing in all this? I'm okay. I think that uh, any, any of us that are at home and safe and we have all of our needs met are all, um, very lucky. So I think in that respect, I'm, I'm great. And then I think, you know, everything else beyond that is just kind of like a day by day experience. Nobody, you know, we don't have any training for this. This is a very bizarre thing for humans. It's unknown territory. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I think my daily routine probably includes what yours includes like yoga and cooking and not baking because I haven't started baking yet, but, uh, it's probably a lot of the same stuff. I'm sure you're writing a lot of music during this time period too, right? I am actually. Yeah. 
it's it's I love so much that immediately when like all of your options are very limited I love what happens to human beings we're like oh what can I do to like what can I create what can I make like that's such an amazing part about like how human beings work so I think I think definitely creativity is very sparked right now yeah tell me about your daily day now because obviously I want to get into your whole path your path and your journey and how you grew up and obviously your musical journey and we'll talk and play some of your new music which is going to be great but talk to me about your daily routine now when you're getting up in the morning I know that you write a lot and read and stuff like that but is it changing now because of what's going on because obviously there's not a lot of shoots going on in film and, and music wise I know that you can write music but is your daily routine changing now from how it used to be Oh yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like I actually have much more of a routine now than I did probably before we went on lockdown because before we went on lockdown, <laughs> every day in the industry is kind of like flying by the seat of your pants. I feel like yeah. even I can look forward and have my entire year blocked out and be like, I, I have no time. Like it's, it's all, it's all laid out, but then I won't know what, like my, the particulars, it's not a very, organized or regimented industry to be a part of you know right, it's right. not really a nine to five yeah. so I feel like most most days are pretty watery with like when I'm actually working I'll either be on set somewhere for like two or three months um and then when I'm home it feels very up in the air or or I'm like in the studio every day and, and that's been blocked out for for ages but yeah my, my days are usually very varied and, and they're much more regimented now I love that you say that you're doing yoga and cooking every day like I feel like that's way more than than I've been able to manage I'm just now getting a handle on my quarantine um routine which I think is mostly making sure I get like an unbelievable amount of sleep because uh, I'm really taking advantage of that right now and then water first no coffee because you're supposed to wait an hour before you have coffee. Did you know no, that? I, I did not know that. I go right into the coffee at like 7 a.m. Yeah, I'm gonna. So this blew my mind, and it it has helped me so much in the past couple months. If you wake up and you don't have anything for a while, and then you have water and breakfast, uh, and then you have your coffee, your own natural energy production will have started, and then you won't crash midday. So I've been doing that, and then I I mostly come and I lay out my day, and I I have a little exercise bike now, and I'm trying to stretch because my back is so messed up in this quarantine. <laughs> um, and then I yeah I start writing, and I I have I I'm working quite a lot. I feel very lucky to be able to be working right yeah, now. Yeah, because I noticed that you're doing a lot of lives. I know you did uh, you just did stuff for Global Citizen, which is great, and we'll talk about all that stuff. But what are you doing besides riding a bike on your daily routine? Are you listening to music to wake up to? Are there certain regimens that you sort of implemented that help you get through this quarantine right now? Definitely music is a huge aid. Um, I feel like we, we, I, so I live with my boyfriend and we live in this long, basically hallway. Like it's, it's just, it's a, it's like a loft kind of situation, but it's only a hallway. Obviously it's just a hallway. <laughs> it's just a hallway. No, it's right. just, it's, it's just a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, uh, it's very hard to decorate. No, we, um, it's we just moved into this loft and it's great it's it's very it feels very open which is something that we were missing in our last place but we didn't realize we were moving into uh, basically a big room before the pandemic started uh and so it's it's definitely like important to try to get space um and i i just discovered that when you pop your headphones in and you walk around it almost feels like you're in your own bubble you're in your own world so i'll do that a lot um what do you listen to what sort of inspires you musically? Um, it depends. I always like, I like new stuff. I mean, my classics are like, obviously, Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Um, I love, uh, I love a lot of like, older, I mean, stuff that will never change for me is like Led Zeppelin and, you know, Aerosmith and like that kind, like I, I have, I have my favorites. Like I love, I mean, I, I love Glenn Miller. I love, all, I, love, I have a wide spectrum of what I like. I know everybody says that. But um, yeah, I'll always have those things that I, that I love. But I feel like what I'm currently loving, I'm loving, um, I've said this on, all over the place so much so that she messaged me on Instagram and she was like, oh, hi. But um, I'm loving Upsall right now. She's okay. so talented. She's got this really um, interesting vibe and, and she's a very, she's like such a creative and you can tell, you can really hear her voice and all the stuff that she does. Um, Listen, anybody I mean, that starts up by telling me they love Zeppelin, they're great in my book. So that's oh, great, we're, we're great. already connected. I already, so that's, I already that's passed great. with that. 
<laughs> so, so talk to me about your journey and how it all began. I think you grew up in Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, tell me yeah. about your upbringing. Like, were your, was your family into music? I know that obviously acting and music sort of ran a concurrent path for you and you were into both and theater and whatnot. But talk to me a little bit about how you grew up and your upbringing and, and, and the creative aspect that you were around at that point. Um, that's such a good question. I, I take weird pride in the fact that I'm from Seattle and I don't know why. I feel like when I was younger, I, I couldn't have cared less. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm from Seattle. Because I just find it to be such a cool place. It's got so many cool, like, weird back alley music venues. And it's quite, I mean, obviously, it's known for its grunge. Um, but I don't know if you know, I play drums with Courtney Love. So obviously, I'm connected. You're a badass. Yeah, That's so fucking I'm unbelievable. I'm connected to that whole scene for many years. So um, Seattle's such a dope place. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And so you grew up with, a, you had a small family, right? You have a sister. Yeah, I have one older sister. Um, my parents were jewelry designers, um, and they had a company. So I was always, I, it was such a, it's a, a very strange career path. I always have a hard time describing it to people, like what it was like, because it wasn't like they were CEOs in a big tall building in Manhattan, but it also wasn't like they were like sitting around sketching. Like it, it was, they, they were, they're creatives. They were creatives and they were designing it, but they were constantly like, traveling back and forth to India, which is where their um, material was sourced uh, and where a lot of their warehouses were. So my sister and I were always kind of like on the floor of design houses, if that makes any sense. I don't really sure. talk about it very much, but like we, we had like, you know, silver samples and, and things constantly coming in and out. And it was, it was, it was a very interesting um, thing to grow up around because it is very creative uh it's just it's really different than what i do now but i i still love it i still feel like i have like a visual a visual component to what i do which is what which is what they were really good at um and were they into film and music as much as you are at this point were you always around film and music growing up yeah strangely my my father was very into movies um and a big music guy he was a pianist a oh, really wow, skilled okay. a really skilled pianist um and he was kind of the, the prime designer as well. And uh, it, was, it was a very fascinating man. Um, I could talk about my father for ages, but I won't. But he, he, he really introduced a lot of uh, music to me. We, we would spend, like he would drive me to school every day, even though I had a school bus. I, I was on a school bus route. He would drive me to school every day so that we could like have 20 to 30 minutes in the car in the morning and listen to Little Richard and Elvis and um, Sheryl Crow and whoever else. Uh, and so those are sort of your earliest memories with music, right? Elvis and Little Richard, would you say? And, and I would say probably he had this big, big, like old fashioned radio that he constantly kept on, on classics and jazz. Yeah. And at what point did you start getting the acting bug? Because you started acting at what, about eight or so? Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom, we, we lived in a very small town. And I think my mom, out of boredom, uh, joined a theater troupe. <laughs> and um, she was actually, she was a designer, but she was also a writer. She was a published poet. Um, it was a very creative family. I never really thought about that growing up, but she, um, she wanted to be a part of the local acting scene, and she was. And then my sister did it in high school, and I was a very dramatic child. And I think kids <laughs> just need like an outlet. And it was very clear from an early age that it wasn't going to be sports for me. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I, I ended up in, in theater and I just was very, I just excelled at it. I was very into the drama of it all. And I, um, I was always, I, it, all the other girls were like, we would do like theater troops and all the other girls would play Juliet and I would be the Lady Macbeth character. And so I think my parents kind of like started shoving me in the direction of like, um, Serious theater. Just like, yeah, intense theater. Just like, just like I was, I was a very emotional child. So just made sense. And any sort of great stories that you can remember doing theater at a young age, like embarrassing moments or anything that come to mind? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I definitely, I've told this one before, but it's just such, it's just so like strange. We, I was doing, <laughs> I was doing a production of Once Upon a Mattress, which is a very strange show that like doesn't really get done very often. Um, and I was, I was in the chorus um, one year and I, we'd done it so many times. It was a very, it was a very prominent um, local theater scene and um, everybody was kind of a part of it. And we'd done it so many times at this point that 
you kind of like tune it out. Like you go on autopilot for whatever you need to do in the show. And the reviewer, like the big scary reviewer, which I'm sure is, you know, was, was only scary for like our small, it was like Kitsap County <laughs> for a reviewer. Local newspaper, right? Yeah, exactly. Wasn't the, the times. Big, the big time. No, but it, but it was. <laughs> um, and uh, we knew he was in that night. And I, I, there's a, there's like a, there's a point where you're supposed to go in tableau and the chorus is supposed to freeze while the lead sings something. And I made eye contact with my friends backstage and they started dancing. And so I started like, do you remember when crumping was really big? This was when I was like yeah. 11 or something. Like it was, it was, it was maybe over a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I started crumping on stage when nobody else was moving and the audience laughed and it made the, re and it made the review <laughs> and they mentioned me by name and it was absolutely mortifying, but also a little bit badass. It was That's like, not in the Wikipedia. Um, no, it's also not anywhere to be found. I'm trying to find the newspaper article and it's, it's gone. So, you, so you're acting from like, let's say eight to 15 in Seattle, right? Cause you moved to LA, what around 14, 15? No, I moved to LA just when I turned 14. Yeah. Okay. And so, a pretty normal childhood, would you say? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was normal. I would say, um, I was never really in school because I was always going to India because if you can imagine that that's a very long trip. Um, and my parents made it four or five times a year and would stay for a month or two months at a time. For so the they didn't, business. yeah, for the jewelry business. Yeah. So they didn't want me or my sister to like never see them. So we would go with them and I was just always kind of in and out of homeschool. I never really had a, like a routine. I, 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 when my mom would go to India, my dad and I were so close that he, and, and I could talk him into anything. I just wouldn't go to school for like two months at a time, which is terrible parenting. But, um, and you came back worked. and you were still in class. They didn't kick you out of school. I mean, I feel like at that time you're, you're in like second, third grade. They don't okay, really care. Right. So, I yeah. feel like they're like, yeah, yeah. leave for two months and come back. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I mean, I feel, I feel like, um, there, yeah, it was a, it got, I mean, not to get, not to get, it's, it's, it was a, it was a very artistic, emotionally uh, rich childhood. I would say that it was um, pretty abnormal and also not the best, but like, mm. I love, I love my family so, so much. Um, but I talk about this. I talk about this a lot. I think that, I think that the family dynamic kind of like kind of fell apart and, and, and it, it, I ended up being kind of like, a, like I, I want, I separated myself kind of from my family at a young age. Um, and I kind of looked for my own sense of identity and safety outside the family dynamic. Cause things just kind of like fell apart. Um, and I talk about that quite a lot, but, um, and did you feel that was going to be singing for you or music or theater? Where did you feel like your path was? I mean, obviously you really don't know your path when you're 13, 14, 15, but did you feel something that was drawing you to one of those sort of uh, genres more than another? Or were you just figuring you just see where life would take you? Yeah, I, I, think, I think I always knew I wanted to do movies. I always knew I wanted to do movies. And I always knew I loved music more than anything. Um, and so I think I sort of fell in love with the idea of a community within those two mediums. Mm. And I pursued them pretty heavily. And I kind of like moved away from everything I knew. And I felt this desire to like, I mean, obviously it, like growing up is complex and human beings are complex. So there's a million reasons why I, I did what I did. But I think at, at a very young age, I needed to like, I dyed my hair. I, you know, started wearing different clothes. I you cut were rebellious. myself off from, yeah. And as well, like I, I my father passed away around that time. And mm. so I, I changed my name pretty quickly, like in, in homage to like keep myself connected with him. But then I also changed my middle and my last name. Um, and I just really needed like mental health wise, I needed to like define who I was, walk away from what I knew and kind of like start over. And I think a lot of people are very confused about that um, because we live in a time that is very much like mistrusting. And so mm -hmm. I feel, I catch a lot of people being like, who are you? What does that mean? But I think, I think at a young age, I really just needed to be my own island. Like I needed to kind of protect myself. And so I, I just like started over. Like I really started over when I was like 14 years old. And, and I really accredit that to a lot of why I am who I am today, because I needed to make that choice to like 
not be, it was, it was a sort of like a safety thing. Like I needed to be like, I claim myself, I claim me. This is my last name. I'm, I'm moving away from everything that has been damaging to me and I'm, I'm starting over and this is my life now. And I, I feel like I really, I really did that for myself for a sort of a sense of survival. And, and I'm so glad that I did. That's amazing. So when you moved to LA, is it with your family at 14, 15? Like, cause obviously you're so young. Is there yeah, it was, with, it was with, it was with my mom. With yeah. Mom. Okay. Moved, and you, yeah. she start you start taking acting classes, you start auditioning for commercials, kind of walk me through how that whole process began for you. No, I, I didn't take, I took maybe like one acting class. And then I think I was like, mm, I don't like it. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, I've never, ever enjoyed acting class. Um, and I totally respect the people that do. I think, I think it looks really fun. Like my best friend talks about it all the time and I get kind of jealous. I'm like, Oh, it sounds so fun. But I just don't, I, I never enjoyed it. I never felt, I always kind of got afraid that it would color. Like if you all go to the same acting class, you're all going to come out acting the same. Right. right, right? right I was a bit sure. like not, not, not into it. Um, but I, I didn't go out for commercials. I started, I got an agent, which is a really hard thing to do. So I feel like that took me a while. That took me like a half a year maybe to get an agent. At um, 14. Then, yeah. Yeah. And you hadn't um, really done much at that point except theater back home and you were in the yeah, choir, exactly. but nothing else. Exactly. I showed up to LA. I was like, here I am. Right. <laughs> Let me get like, an agent. Somebody finds me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. With my zero, with my nothing on my resume. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I came out and I, I just kind of felt that it was going to happen. And then it, it did. And that was really lucky. Um, my mom really like broke her back trying to get me um, even just like meetings with agents, uh, mm. which was so kind because she was never a stage mom ever. Yeah. How did always... you get those meetings? Because the people that don't know, I mean, it's not easy to get those meetings if you've done nothing, right? And you're just doing like local theater. So how did you or your mom go about getting those meetings? Do you even remember how that happened? I don't really remember. I know that I remember the, exp I mean, this was like, this was 10 years ago, right? I remember the experience of coming home from high school every day and me being like, did it happen? Did we, you know, did you reach anybody? And she was like, no, I left a message. Um, we got headshots done. Um, and we were just like sending them in. And my mom was just making cold calls over and over and over again. Um, and I can't stress enough how much she like didn't give a shit what I was going to do with my life. She was just going to support me no matter what. And so That's it was, yeah, it was not driven by her at all. It was so special. Um, she's and a, you start she's a landing star. some roles at that point, right? About a year or two later, you do Shameless, you have some guest starring roles, and eventually you become part of the Disney machine. So talk me through from like point A to point B, right? Because again, going from having done nothing to being like one of Disney's like, you know, they're sort of building a brand around you at that point. Pretty incredible to happen in a couple of years like that. Yeah, really wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, th I think um, it was funny, too, because I grew up without cable. So I was so untouched by the whole Disney thing like I was sort of like yeah That's I know Disney. about it yeah no, no, I knew about it but it was like I didn't I never watched it I didn't like I didn't like have any of the stuff like I didn't <laughs> I'm gonna be honest I never I never watched like those classics like I, I watched them sometimes like I, I know I know that like I know that I liked Wizards of Waverly Place when it was on at my friend's house and like right, right. you know I, I'd seen them um but I didn't I didn't watch them regularly um and I wasn't really a part of that. So I, I went in, I went in all the time for everything. Cause that's what you do when you're first starting. You just go in for anything and everything. And I went in for, I went in for Austin and Allie. Um, and I didn't make it very far. And then I went in for something called Madison high, which didn't end up being anything. Shout out to anybody who went out for that as well. Um, but I, it went, it, I think that eventually turned into like some other movie later on, like 10 years later. Um, but I went in for something called Madison High. And if anybody knows this about the audition process at Disney, you basically like you go in and you go in again and you go in again. And then if they like you, they send you up to the 21st floor, which is this building in Burbank, um, the, Disney, the Disney Channel building. And they send you up to the very, very top, which is where like Gary Marsh and all the executives work and um and it, you never like make it up there until they're like really close to casting you and so it was like oh you know <laughs> legend has it the 21st floor um and so i i got really close to this thing called madison high for the kind of like bitchy mean girl role um which i was always going out for at that time because i was blonde and 15 um and i got to the top and i got seen by all the executives and i could tell that there was like a sort of a something 
like it was working. Like there was something like, oh yeah, like this is, this could be good. We could, we could do this Madison high. And, uh, and then I went away and nothing ever happened. And, and I started to kind of get the idea that Disney didn't think I was Disney material. It was like, I would get really close to booking something with Disney and then they would be like, nah, and they'd cast someone else. And so I told my agents as a young, sensitive creative, I was like, please don't send me out for any more Disney stuff because I feel like I'm not representing you well. Cause it feels like you go in and then if you don't get it, it sort of feels, especially when you're young, you feel like you failed. You're like, okay, if I, if I was good enough to get to this place, but then not good enough to get cast, I'm clearly just not good enough. Um, which is not true, but that's what it feels like. Um, and there's probably also pressure about the wholesome aspect of Disney too, right? When you finally get cast in something, because it's such a wholesome machine, right? Disney that like, is there a pressure that also comes along with finally getting cast by Disney and, and being part of that machine? Well, that was what was, that was what was kind of interesting was later on, they were like, okay, please go out for this one more thing. It's, it's being directed by uh, this guy who did She's the Man. He's a film director. It seems really funny, whatever. Uh, and I was like, okay, it does seem really, really funny. And um, maybe, maybe I can be funny. I got, I was like, I don't think I'm funny. Um, and Disney, Disney told me I was too edgy. And so I was like, okay, I'm really not funny, but I'll, I'll just try. And so I went in and I ended up booking it. And then we did this pilot called Bits and Pieces and then it went away. And then the night before, like the night before, like the contract was up for like the nine month holds, they called the whole cast and they were like, Hey, we're picking up your show, but it's about twins now. Um, you didn't audition for this, but it's an entirely different show. Show up on Monday morning. We're going to figure it out as we go. And we're like, okay. Um, and so it was a sort of like a hit the ground running kind of thing. And it just moved really, really fast. Like I kind of don't even remember that time. It was like a whirlwind. Um, and I remember being a bit like reticent to sign on for a Disney project because I didn't know if I was the best fit for it. Um, I was a girl who very much loved Tim Burton and I thought I was like Wednesday Adams. And I, you know, like I, I showed up to school like in, in near cosplay. Like I was a very not like Disney fit. Um, and I swore like a sailor and I had a tattoo already at 14 and Disney knew all of that. And I was like, are you sure you want me? Like, I just don't really think I'm a good fit for you guys. And they were like, we want you. So we kind of like moved forward and, and we didn't talk about like rebranding. It just sort of was something that came with the characters. Mm. Um, they never, ever, ever put any pressure on me to be anything. I think if anything, I put that pressure on myself because of what the public expected. Um, and I think I, as somebody with a low self-esteem at that age, was just sort of like, I don't want to fuck up, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to let people down. And I put that image on myself. Like, maybe if I grew up with Disney, maybe if it was something that was more normal to me, but I really felt like an outsider. And I felt like there was this pressure from the public, not from Disney, to be what they were accustomed to seeing. Of course, yeah. Um, and, and as well, I was dating somebody around that time that was very much like into that very like innocent thing. And I just like, wasn't that. And so I was just like, okay, this is like my role as a young girl. I'm just going to be this way and, and I won't ruffle any feathers. And then, and I was able to do that for a while. And then I think it, I, I just, it turned toxic within me. And mm. then I had to kind of shed that. Um, but, but honestly, I can't say enough how much Disney has nothing to do with that. Like they just, they never did. Did that show become Live and Maddie? Yep. Yeah, which you won an Emmy for, so congrats on that. And Thanks. so fast forward years later, you get your first lead, right? Cloud Nine with Disney, which is great. And Live and Maddie, you win an Emmy. What was that like? I mean, going from virtually being unknown, like in local theater, to winning an Emmy in a span of what, four years or so? Pretty incredible. Five years? Yeah, I guess five years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't usually happen surreal. like that for people, right? They don't start out and like five years later, they win an Emmy. And so what was that process like for you? And that, that must've felt incredible to finally win an Emmy and, and go through that journey too, right? Yeah. So surreal. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things like that, you just kind of feel like, I, I, I read something when I was young that it was like most successful people feel like frauds. And I definitely have that kind of trait. Like I've always kind of been like, Oh, you gave it to the wrong person. <laughs> like, I don't think you're really looking at all the, like I wasn't, you know, I think, I think I'll always, I'll always feel like that, but, but that's good. I'd rather feel like that than, than feel like, oh yes, well, <laughs> this is my path. You know, I just, I think that it's maybe normal. So after that, obviously you get the Descendants. So you're now in the third movie, you start singing a lot in a lot of the things they cast you for. So you're sort of running this parallel path of singing and acting and, and at some point where you like, you know what, I think I want to pursue the singing thing wholeheartedly and just 
start to do music too. When did that come like very apparent to you? Um, I don't know how much I've talked about this. I, I went, so, okay. I wanted to do music forever and I actually started doing music. So I did cloud nine before live and Maddie even started production. Um, but it came out, I think like in the middle of season two, maybe. Um, but I, when I was doing cloud nine, I had a manager and I was like, I want to do music. And so I got a music manager and I started recording and writing and that stuff just never saw the light of day. Mm. Um, and so I've been actually working on music since I was 15. Um, but it was just never the right music. It was never something I was like, I love this. I want to put it out. Uh, and then I went out for, I went out for Hollywood records, which is what I've never talked about this. This, I don't think, um, Hollywood Records is Disney's label. Sure. And I think what it is, is they have a first right of refusal on Disney talent, which means that like, for, for people who aren't um, familiar with that term, it means that if they want to use you as a, as a musical artist or they want to sign you, they have first they, option. They have first option. Yeah. And then if you, you know, if somebody else wants to sign you and it's not them, they have the right to be like, no, you can't use her and, and we want her. Um, so I went out for them because that just seemed like a good match. And at the time, I kid you not, I kid you not. <laughs> the the problem was that I got told at least they had too many young blonde pop singers. They wow. were like, we we have too many young blonde pop singers. She's nothing special. Like not like that. Like it wasn't it wasn't like they were mean. It was just sort of like, ah, eh, we kind of have that quota filled. We're not really looking for that right now, which is understandable. Like there's all kinds of reasons why labels don't sign people. Um, and I think that I went in really nervous and they were like, what is she bringing to the table that Olivia Holt and I'm trying to think of who else they had at the time, a bunch of other like kind of people who looked like me, they were like, okay, we have that. Um, and so I was like, okay, um, I will go look for representation elsewhere. And then I kind of just didn't do that. Um, and then I started dating this guy and then he was like, I want to do a band and I was like, okay. And so we started doing that for a while. Because um, you released a couple of covers before that too, right? You did like an Imagine Dragons cover. Or you did a Christina Aguilera cover, right? During that time or was that, that was, the same time? So Yeah, so that was through Live and Maddie. So those were all four Live and Maddie and Descendants um, products. Like that was all for the, the sake of the plot or for the sake of the music video. So those, those weren't under me. And I don't even think they were under Hollywood. I think they was under Disney Channel or mm. something. Yeah. But obviously at that point, your music, even because you had a couple of number one hits on like the kids chart. So you knew that there was something there, even if Hollywood Records was sort of giving you the runaround, you at that point probably knew that you could pursue that path, right? And that journey alongside the acting, right? I hoped. I never really was too confident in my voice until I got older. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, I loved that Disney like let me do both things that I was so passionate about. I thought that was so cool. And I honestly, I feel like they were quite generous with like, like they would always kind of give me stuff that they thought I would like. And they'd be like, we know that you're a fan of Christina Aguilera. We have this idea. Like it was always with, one thing I like, I get like emotional talking about this, but I can't stress this enough. And I know people are like, she's brainwashed. But like Disney, <laughs> Disney, I swear, spoiled me so much with like giving me opportunities that they thought about for me. Like it was very much about who I was naturally. And they were like always being very thoughtful with trying to keep, keep that in mind and be like, we thought about it. Do you want to do this? Like they were so, so kind. Um, and I feel, I feel really lucky that that was done like that. Like it was never, it was never like an old Hollywood like, now you're going to be here. See, show up there and do this. See, like it was, Man, it's it was an so incredible opportunity. Look at all the people that have come from that machine. It's incredible. But at a yeah. certain point you meet my friend, Adam, Albert, who we yeah. should talk about, and who I've known for years and who I've worked with over the years. And so you guys meet, what, three or four years ago? Three years ago? Yeah, maybe. Maybe around that time. And how'd you meet? How'd that come about? I mean, obviously, you were still, you weren't actually pursuing a record deal, but you knew that music was something that you were doing, right? Or were you actually pursuing a record deal at that point? Um, I, I, was, I was a little bit pursuing a record deal. I just finished Hairspray Live, which was a whirlwind. Um, and I was feeling very, like... At that point, I'd been working on singing and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm like a singer. Um, <laughs> so funny what it takes to convince the, the what is it, the self-confidence. I was like, okay, I can do it now. Um, and so then we, my, my music manager at the time and I went to New York and we had a bunch of meetings and I just really felt like Adam was a great fit. I was a really big Chainsmokers fan. Um, he was very to the point, very managerial. 
Um, and he had like a clear vision for what he wanted to do with my music. Um, and then I kind of went away for a year and I filmed a couple movies and, uh, and then I, I had, I had my attorney reach out to him and I was like, Hey, does this guy, is this guy still interested in like working with me? Because I have a really good feeling about him and I really want to do this. Um, and then we for just those of you who don't know, he there. also has Disruptor Records, which is the label you're on now, right? Yeah. 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 And so, so had he had that label at that point or was this more like you met him when he was just managing the chain smokers? No, he had Disruptor. He had Disruptor um, through Sony Columbia. And uh, that was, yeah, that was how I met him. And, and then I just, it just, we just started working from there. Like he's such a, um, he's a very like methodical, like he's got the plan, he's got the ideas. And then I, I just started, he got me in the booth pretty quickly and we started kind of finding my sound, um, which took a while because I was sort of like, mm, I hate everything. <laughs> I, it's so hard to find your sound when you're yeah. like, when you're very particular. Um, but I, I feel, I feel really, it's like, we've just kind of gotten to the point now where we have a lot done, like a lot recorded um, that, that I really love, that he loves um, and that my A&R love and that all the labels love. And it feels, it feels good. It feels like we're, we're finally like in it now. It takes a while. Music is a very, it's like a wild west. It does. So talk me through some of the singles, because I feel like these days it's almost you don't even need to put out a full length right away. The way that things are marketed, it's almost like EPs, singles, right? Did you feel like a conscious effort where just like singles were going to be your path? Or were you like, I need to write a record? Did you give it some thought or it was just sort of like, as soon as I have a, I have a song and the fans want to hear it, I'm going to drop that song? Um, I always, Adam and I talked early on about singles being kind of the way that people consume music these days. Uh, and I think that that's very true, um, especially in myself and in my peers and in, in the sort of fan base that I feel connected to. Um, I definitely don't think a record is out of the question. I just think it's sort of something that I would really want to work up to. I feel like the singles that I've been putting out, how many singles have I put out now? Four? Five, right? Five? Yeah. Yeah. Five singles. So the singles, the singles I put out now, I feel like it's sort of like a warm up into the big event. Um, I don't know if the big event is going to be an EP or a full record, but I don't like music for me is so much about feeling and how I feel about it that I don't want to just throw out a body of work. I would rather sort of warm people up into it, sort of introduce people to my sound outside of what they've heard from me. Uh, and then also still continue to find my sound because Adam said something to me really early on. He was like, whatever you make now, either we're going to release it or we're not, but you're probably going to look back on it and hate a lot of it. Like you're going to look back on it in a month from now and hate what we do in the studio today. It's just about finding what you love, like more long-term and, and, and creating sound like that. And he's so right. Like I'm already so sick of some of the stuff that like, that I wrote a year ago. And I'm sort of like, mm, I don't even know if I want to release that, you know? And then there's stuff that I'm like, this is still my favorite thing ever. Uh, and so I, I definitely, I definitely feel like, that's something I want to take my time with. It's interesting because they used to say you had your whole life to write your first album and then like six months to write your next record, right? So, but now <laughs> that process has changed so much. And so in September, you dropped an EP, right? So let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that. Bloodshot and Waste. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And sort of like, I know it's about love and, and uh, sort of was it fictitious? Was it based on your life? Tell me a little bit about the whole story behind it. Um, I think everything is always based in my life. I think that I have lived enough life to write about at this point um enough has happened so i can almost i can almost guarantee that every single song that i release has is based in reality um bloodshot is very much about loss bloodshot um i've had a lot of loss in my life mm. speaking candidly um and there's always this kind of feeling of like like this like one foot in reality, one foot in like the nether space that is like, there are no words for that kind of like lack of reality. You're like, oh my God, my reality was different yesterday than it is today. And the best way to describe that is like, I haven't been sleeping, like these bloodshot eyes and like the colors are different, foreign and beautiful. Like it was just something that came from like, like it, I was the group that I was writing it with. Um, it was sparked actually by a female co-writer of mine. Um, but then we all, we all put our two cents in and it just felt very much like a song about 
I mean, it's, it's a very one size fits all. It could be about a boyfriend, a breakup, a girlfriend, a, a loss of a partner. Um, but for me, it, it very much resonates as a sort of like a song about kind of just um, blanket loss. Because uh, I don't really, I've never really, I've never had the experience of having someone break up with me. And um, I've had the experience of having my heart broken, like, yeah. you know, being, being fucked over. But I've never had the experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've, I mean, I think that I think that the heartbreak, I've been cheated on before. And I think that that is like enough to really, it's almost like a mini death, a mini breakup within the yeah. relationship. Um, but it's, I've never, I've never had that so far. Um, so yeah, that one's about loss for me, definitely. And I, I really love it. Um, and then Waste is still like my all-time favorite song that I think I've ever done. It's just so strange. Um, and the production is, I think, just immaculate. And it's, it's so a song about my relationship with love and lust and, and relationship um, in terms of just like wanting to like waste yourself on someone like you know there's nothing there's nothing better than that feeling of like oh my god I could just like wreck myself for this person and, and that would be the ultimate heaven yeah. you know what I mean yeah definitely and the visuals are so great surrounding that are you, you super involved in creating the videos I feel like you you have a real strong hand in creating the visuals for everything you put out yeah um I definitely I didn't have any I didn't have any real input for waste and bloodshots music videos that was sort of a we, we did a bunch of content on one day because I was really, I was, I was like flying into LA and then flying back out. And so we did two covers and then those two videos um, as the sun went down, it was just sort of like a, a visual to get out with the song. It wasn't so much a concept, um, but it ended up being really beautiful and I really liked them. In terms of the music videos for Out of Touch and So Good, those I really did have quite a lot of input on, but the funny story about um, out of touch is that we shot a full-blown high production conceptual music video with a plot line and then we ended up not loving the footage that we got and so we just used this long single take on the roof of the sort of like overall performance that is only supposed to be peppered in throughout and I've had a lot of people being like she's so awkward when she performs but it's because you know that they're only going to use pieces of it right, right and so right. you're just kind of delivering pops of performance and then you kind of go away but we all ended up watching it back and we were like we really kind of love how vulnerable it feels and we really loved how strange it was and that we got like a solid take that felt very present and so we were like fuck it let's release like this weird quirky single shot as the whole music video um and i ended up loving it i love the look i love the whole vibe it feels very much like watchmen or something you're like on yeah. the top of the roof with your leather gloves and but yeah so good so good's concept was was mine as well it was great i, I love so good it reminds me of like a john paul good sort of uh, photograph or concept it, it's such a great visual um, but I do Thank want to you. jump to your new single, which you just released, Remember Me, top yeah. 10 on the iTunes charts, which is great, featuring Bia. Tell me a little bit about it before we jump into it, sort of how it came about and whatnot. Uh, that is also one of my all-time favorites. It, um, Remember Me was one of the first ones that we did. It is a very vibey song. Like, it was a song that I was immediately attracted to, the kind of vibe um, and, the, and the high production quality. I always wanted to, when I was younger, have high production high production production <laughs> and high production vocals, which I always talked to my mom. I remember being like 11 years old and being like, that's so hard to do because if you want to sing like Christina Aguilera, you need the track to kind of be understated. And then if you want Sleigh Bells production or Michael Jackson, you know, noise pop production, then you have to like have toned down vocals. And I remember being so upset about that. I was like, I want it all. <laughs> um, and I really felt like, remember me, obviously it's not an incredibly vocally tough song, but the vocals are very present. Um, and I really loved that there was like a nice balance struck between those two things. It's such a nice dichotomy. And it really feels like such a cinematic song. Like it, I always feel like when I listen to Remember Me, I'm transported to like, I can feel like the rake shot up from like the wet cement up to like, she's just killed someone and she's like in Tokyo and it's a grand adventure. Like it just feels so much like a, a badass kind of like villain love story song. Um, and that, that's such a, like, that's a sound I love listening to. I love the Suicide Squad soundtrack. Awesome. I love, um, Marina and the Diamonds. I love Lana Del Rey. I love like a story in a song. Well, it's like very uh, cinematic, which is apropos, right? 
Yeah. 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 So yeah. Rolling Stone actually said Dub paints a detailed picture of how she wants to be remembered from this song, which I think is great, right? And, and so fitting. Tell me about uh, sort of Thank how you. you met Bia. Uh, I met Bia because she, we, we decided later on in the song that we wanted a feature, um, that we felt that it, it kind of was asking for a feature and she submitted. And I remember being so blown away by her vocal quality and her sort of like vibe and her energy that she had on the track. I just felt like it matched it so perfectly. Um, and I actually didn't meet her until after she had done her, her bit of the track and we'd been like, wow, she killed it. So when, when we met, uh, I was so happy to know that she's like such a cool person and she's so smart and she's so down to earth. She's like, she's a really good person as well as a really impressive artist. It's great. And what's more gratifying to you to like finishing an album, finishing an EP or finishing a movie at this point? I feel like finishing, finishing anything to do with music feels more gratifying because you know that your final stamp of like, I love it. It's perfect. I don't even want to change one, you know, iota of, because you, you, with music, you really have your fingerprints all over it. So I feel like that's always more gratifying because with a film, you can finish your performance, but you can, like, it's in the editor's hands. It's in the director's right. hands. So, yeah. And sort of where, walk me through where we're at right now, right? We're in this pandemic, though. I feel like everyone's doing things to sort of make, you know, make do and figure it out. I mean, everyone's doing live performances. I don't know if you're going to do some more IG performances. I saw a couple that you did, right? Global Citizens, right? Do you yeah. feel like that's going to be what's happening the next year in music? Because I feel like people are not going to be that comfortable going to shows for the next year with everything going on. They're talking about live music coming back maybe fall of 2021, which is scary when you're a musician and this is how you make your livelihood and this is what inspires you creatively. So where do you think it's going to go from here? And, and what are your plans in terms of like marketing your music and doing some more live performances and stuff? That's a good question. I definitely think, I definitely think people won't be comfortable doing shows um, as well as going to shows. I think that there is a world before um, COVID-19 and then there's a world after and I think that none of us really know what that's going to look like I definitely think that everybody's going to be doing a lot more lives we're going to be able to but I really have this feeling that we're going to find ways that we don't think we have now if that makes any sense like it's going to yeah. bear a lot more creativity and a lot more sort of like uh, creative thinking with with how we are able to perform it's even going to change media I think it's already started to um and, you know, with the rise of things like TikTok and the rise of how music is consumed and produced these days, anything can kind of pop off at any time. And I think that as long as you have like a presence on this crazy, you know, social media invisible <laughs> to the naked eye platform and you're creating music that you love, which you can do virtually. Like I have a lot of writing sessions this week with people that I that I really like love and respect and I'm very excited to work with there. I think we're all surprising ourselves with how resourceful we can be. And I think the music industry, it, it will suffer, but I think it will also become different than what we know. Are you doing a lot of zoom writing sessions? I don't even know how those would work out. Are you? Is yeah, no, they're not. That? Yeah. As long yeah. as somebody has a guitar and you've got the software, which we all do. Yeah. You, you can, can do you, it. You can do anything from home. Yeah. I always end the show Doug, with asking some really fun questions. So some of these are, uh, things you might have answered before, some are not, I'm not sure, but a couple really fun things. What's like the craziest rumor you've ever heard about yourself? That I didn't, okay, I've, I've heard a rumor that there was no, um, I didn't play both Liv and Maddie. One of them was a hologram. <laughs> I also heard that originally I had a twin and Disney filmed the pilot with a twin and then she died in a car crash. And so they covered it up by making me play my other twin. That's very bizarre, but not, yeah. uh, you know, this society is very weird, so nothing surprises <laughs> me. Anything that you haven't done yet? Because I know you wanted to go to fashion school when you were younger, I believe, right? So anything, let's say, in fashion you haven't done yet? I know you just released a line of sunglasses. Are there things in that space, like your own fragrance, your own makeup line that you still want to do that you haven't done yet? Yeah, I definitely would love to do a clothing line. But actually, right now, I'm looking at taking, I, I want to I wanna do... Um, classes for history of religion and art history and women's studies and i kind of want to go to college so oh you we'll could you could do that now now's a great time to do that that's what i'm doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> will there be more descendants films coming up mm, i don't think so i think probably probably we wouldn't feel comfortable doing it without cameron but at the same time mm, i don't know, know. I've, I've, yeah crazier things have happened Awesome. And, and one of my favorite things I saw you do, you did these great impressions. Are there any impressions that you haven't done yet that you can do for me? Because I saw some oh, great God. ones. 
I mean, I, I do, I, I've done the minions. I could, if my voice was healthier, I can do a really good Snow White, like someday, because you can do that like really warbly spin. I love that. Um, no, not, not right now. My voice isn't healthy enough. <laughs> okay. Well, definitely pick up the EP that came out in September. Check out all new music, Remember Me, which is out now. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. I, I followed you on Instagram, so I'm going to be posting a lot about the show. Uh, I'm really excited to, to show a lot of your music to the world and more to the world. It's going to be on Dash Radio, too. You're a pleasure. You're great. You're so talented. And Thank at you. such a young age, you've accomplished so much. So if there's, if there's any last thing you haven't accomplished, what's that? Oh, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a college degree. Maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm very blessed and lucky to be doing what I'm doing. So I have no plan wherever it takes me. Maybe directing and writing is next for you. Oh yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Your you pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully, you, you know, we'll get through this together quickly and I'll get to see you perform too. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so lovely to speak to. Thank Thanks, you. you too, Deb. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I'll speak to you soon. You too. Bye. Bye. This is Lips LA. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.